Jason Kelly, and this is the Practicing History Podcast. Practicing History is a podcast about the way we construct our pasts, not just how professionals do it, but how all of us every day tell stories, speak, think, and reflect historically. Through doing this, we're all historians. Today, I want to start us off on a new series in Practicing History that diverges a little bit from the initial several episodes of Practicing History, and the episodes that we're going to be dealing with in the next several weeks are focused on the current historical moment, specifically the moment of crisis in which the world faces a global pandemic. And what I'd like to do is look at a few examples from history that shed some insight on it. few episodes of Practicing History, we're going to look at a few examples of plagues and outbreaks throughout history. We're going to see how these moments of crisis can become important times for historical actors to reflect on their societies, to think about their pasts, to think about their futures, and even use it as a moment to critique the status quo. For historians, these historical accounts can often provide potent insights into historical beliefs, ideals, hopes, expectations, and even social practices. Given our current historical moment, engaging with how people imagined and lived through their own outbreaks and pandemics can provide us with a perspective on our contemporary contexts. We'll see lots of differences between how people respond to crises, but much of this that we're going to see in the next few episodes will feel, feel familiar as well perhaps evoking ways for us to think about our own society, our own values, and our own responsibilities. We're going to start this series by reading Thucydides' Peloponnesian War. Specifically, we're going to read the section on a plague outbreak in 430 BCE, which killed more than 30,000 Athenians. Thucydides uses this moment to think about the structures of Athenian society and the ways that citizens framed the relationship between the individual and the community. And I think it's important to note here that Thucydides is writing primarily about citizens, those members of the Athenian community who had the right to vote. And this was just a small percentage of the overall populations in Athens. Because Athens was a slave society, which allowed only a small group, maybe 30% of men to participate in its democracy. It was a patriarchal society in which women had few rights and were not participants in the democracy at all. Athens was also an empire whose wealth relied on forcing other city-states to provide money for its coffers and so that it could float its navy. In fact, conflict over Athens' expanding empire and its efforts to extract tribute were the reasons war broke out with Sparta in 431 BCE. And this war between Sparta and Athens became known as the Peloponnesian War. 
Our most important account of this war comes from the writer Thucydides, who participated in the war and wrote a history that's come down to us over 2,000 years. Toward the beginning of his text, Thucydides describes the outbreak of a plague. We're going to start a little bit before this outbreak to give us some context. At the end of the first year of the Peloponnesian War, Thucydides has Pericles give the funeral oration for the soldiers who'd lost their lives in the first year. And this is a an excellent place to start thinking about how Thucydides is imagining the relationship of the individual to society. And it's not inconsequential that this section of the text happens right before he begins discussing the outbreak of the plague in Athens. So I just want to read a little bit from the text for you, uh, specifically from uh, the funeral oration of Pericles, that helps give a sense of how Pericles is thinking about the rights of the individual and responsibilities to the state, specifically the polis. So fared these men, worthy of their city, you, their survivors, must pray to meet the enemy at lesser cost, but resolve to do so just as unflinchingly, not calculating the benefits by words alone, although one might recite at length to you who know them just as well all the rewards of resisting the enemy, but wondering at the city's power as you actually see it each day and becoming her lovers, reflecting whenever her fame appears great to you that men who were daring, who realized their duty, and who honored it in their actions acquired this, men who even when they failed in some attempt did not on that account think it right to deprive the city of their virtue, but to offer it to her as their finest contribution. For in giving their lives in common cause, they individually gained imperishable praise and the most distinctive tomb, not the one where they are buried, but the one where on every occasion for word and deed their glory is left after them eternally. The whole earth is the tomb of famous men, and not only inscriptions set up in their own country market, but even in foreign lands, an unwritten memorial, present not in monument but in mind, abides within each man. Emulate them now, judge that happiness is freedom and freedom courage, and do not stand aside from the dangers of war. For failures, Men bereft of good expectations have no more reason to be unstinting of their lives than those for whom reversal is always a threat as long as they live, and in whose sight the most important things are at stake if they come to grief. Indeed, for a man of pride, misfortune associated with cowardice is more painful than death coming imperceptibly in the midst of vigor along with shared hopes. So like I said, this section of the funeral oration is juxtaposed to the text of the plague. It's, it's doing some work, and specifically it's doing work imagining the civic world. And it's setting a model for how citizens are supposed to exist in relationship to the polis. So when... Thucydides moves on to discussing the plague. He frames it 
in part in this context of the relationship of the individual to the community. At the beginning of the second year of the war, things were going pretty poorly for the Athenians. And unfortunately for them, a plague struck. And this is what Thucydides wrote. When they had not yet stayed many days in Attica, and by they, he's speaking of the Peloponnesians, the plague first began to occur in Athens, said to have struck earlier in many other places, both around Lemnos and elsewhere, yet nowhere was so serious a disease or such destruction of human life recorded as taking place. In the first place, doctors who treated it in ignorance had no effect, being themselves the ones who died in proportion to having the most contact with it. Nor did any other human agency and their supplications at sanctuaries and recourse to prophecies and the like were of no avail. In the end, they abandoned these, vanquished by disaster. You can see immediately when the plague came, people turned uh, to their divine beliefs, and they immediately found that their, as Thucydides says, their recourse to prophecies and the like, their turning to sanctuaries, was no help to them. Originally, it is said it came from Ethiopia, south of Egypt, and then descended on Egypt, Libya, and much of the land of the king, Thucydides continues. It struck the city of Athens suddenly and first attacked the people in the Piraeus. This is the port town, port city of Athens. So that it was even claimed by them that the Peloponnesians had put poison in the wells. Later, it reached the upper city as well, and then many more began to die. Now, let each man, doctor or layman, speak about it according to his understanding. What its origin is, is likely to have been, and whatever causes of so great a change he thinks are sufficiently powerful to bring about disturbance. I will say what it was like in its course and describe here, as one who had the plague myself and saw others suffering from it myself, the symptoms by which anyone who studies it cannot possibly fail to recognize it with this foreknowledge, if it ever strikes again. So Thucydides here turns to his own experience, his own observations of the plague. And this is something uh, that for those of you who have read the Peloponnesian War see over and over again, uh, Thucydides often turns to his first person account. In fact, using that account to prove the veracity of what he says. And here is the a portion of the description of the plague outbreak that Thucydides describes. That particular year, according to a consensus, happened to be especially free of disease with respect to other types of illness. But whatever sickness anyone had already was always subsumed in this. The others, when they were healthy, were suddenly, for no apparent reason, afflicted first in the head by high fever and redness and burning in the eyes, and internally both the throat and the tongue immediately became bloody and emitted an unnatural and foul-smelling breath. After these, sneezing and hoarseness ensued, and soon the trouble descended into the chest with violent coughing. When it settled in the stomach, it brought disorder, and all the discharges of bile that doctors have names for ensued, and with extreme discomfort. For most, 
empty retching followed, causing violent convulsions, in some cases after the discharges had abated, in other cases much later. On the outside, the body was neither especially hot to touch nor pallid, but reddish, livid, and broken out in small blisters and sores. Internally, however, there was such burning that they could not contact with even very light clothing or linen, nor anything other than going naked and would have been happiest plunging into cold water. And many who were not watched actually did so in wells, seized by thirst which never ceased, and drinking a lot or a little came to the same thing. He continues on dis- discussing the terrible effects of this plague that had gripped Athens. And after that, he turns to discussing how individuals and the community responded more broadly. And this is quite telling. He writes, What was most terrible in the whole affliction was the despair when someone realized he was sick. For immediately forming the judgment that there was no hope, they tended much more to give themselves up instead of holding out. And the fact that from tending one another they died like a flock of sheep This brought on the most destruction. If they were unwilling in their fear to approach one another, they perished in isolation, and many homes were emptied for want of someone to give care. If they drew near, they were destroyed, especially those making some claim to virtue. For out of honor, they did not spare themselves in visiting friends, since even relatives overcome by the prevailing misery finally grew tired of the lamentations of the dying. So, He begins to speak here about the two different ways that people are dealing with the plague. For those who become sick, they immediately find themselves in such a state of despair uh, that they hold out no hope. For others, they try to isolate themselves, and in doing so, they perish in that isolation. And sadly, for those who by a claim to virtue, and virtue is very important uh, for Thucydides, a virtue that encourages them to reach out and help their friends and their family members, uh, they die from the illness that they pick up. And so it's a very uh, desperate situation in Athens. He continues, In addition to the prevailing misery, the crowding in from the country to the city oppressed them all the more, especially the new arrivals. So people are leaving the country and moving to the city uh, because they're leaving their homes that are devastated by the war and then, of course, the plague that is happening at the same time and coming into the city. And so they're traveling to sanctuaries in the cities where they're attempting to reach out to divine powers. He writes that the sanctuaries in which they had found shelter were filled with corpses since they had died there on the spot and people seeing nothing they could do as the disaster overwhelmed them developed indifference towards sacred and profane alike. And this is key for Thucydides because these are two of the fundamental frameworks for Athenian life. The sacred, the the responsibility to the divine, but also the profane, and this is the responsibility to the polis, to the community more broadly. And it's in this context where Thucydides is particularly concerned with the breakdown of social order. And this is, in fact, the next section. He writes that, in other matters as well, the plague was the starting point for greater lawlessness in the city, 
Everyone was ready to be bolder about activities they had previously enjoyed only in secret, since they saw the sudden change for both those who were prosperous and suddenly died, and for those who previously owned nothing but immediately got their property. And so they thought it appropriate to use what they had, quickly and with a view to enjoyment, considering their persons and their possessions equally ephemeral. So what's happening is the breakdown of society is both leading to greater lawlessness where people are going out to try to get things for themselves, but those people who have possessions are using them uh, simply for enjoyment that both people and property are ephemeral to them. He continues that no one was enthusiastic over additional hardship for what seemed a noble objective, considering it uncertain whether he would die before achieving it. So what we see is a breakdown of individual virtue. The noble objective that people pursue is leaving them because any hardship seems to be uh, on top of the plague that has already hit them. So that attempt to pursue virtue is a hardship as they imagine it. And he writes that whatever was pleasant immediately and whatever was conducive to that were deemed both, both noble and useful. So pleasure becomes the operating principle of society rather than responsibility. And anything that is in the short term and anything that can be gained in that short term is what becomes that which is noble and useful to them because they imagine that their lives are going to be cut off at any moment. And he writes that neither fear of the gods nor law of the man, law of man was a deterrent since it was judged all the same, whether they were pious or not because of seeing everyone dying with no difference. And since no one anticipated that he would live till trial and pay the penalty for his crimes, but that the much greater penalty which had already been pronounced was hanging over them, and it was responsible to get some satisfaction from life before that descended. And what we see here then is that breakdown that uh, Thucydides keeps hinting to us, that they abandon the gods, they abandon the rational law of humanity, and that they, pl they pursue satisfaction and pleasure that no divine law, uh, no human law needed to be followed because the punishment was already here and that was the plague. With this breakdown of social order, Thucydides turns to the political order and specifically, he turns back to Pericles. Pericles, the leader who had performed the funeral oration at the end of the first year of the war, is now being blamed for leading Athenians into war. And while Pericles' speech to the populace in this instant focuses primarily on the duties of the individual to pursue the war in which they were engaged with, Pericles also has a lot to say about the plague itself and their duty as citizens to their other citizens in the state. So I want to turn now to Pericles' speech, where through which Thucydides talks 
about a model of how to lead in a time of crisis. He writes that, uh, in using Pericles' voice, he writes, I believe that a city that is overall on the right course benefits individuals more than one that is prospering as far as each citizen is concerned, but failing collectively. For if a man is well off in his own situation, but his country is destroyed, he is ruined along with it nonetheless. But if he fares badly in one that is faring well, he is much more likely to come through safely. Since a city, then, is able to bear the misfortunes of individuals, but each member is incapable of bearing those of the city, how should you not all come to its defense instead of acting as you are now? And this is Pericles' challenge to the Athenians, that they don't pursue their own individual needs, that that immediate gratification that is associated with the breakdown of the social order, with the failures in the current war, but rather uh, they should turn to each other and work together to support the polis, to support the collective good. He continues, and yet I, the object of your anger, consider myself a man inferior to no one in judging what is necessary and explaining it. Furthermore, a lover of my country and above money. So he, he s- s- frames himself in three ways here. He's a person who has good judgment. He's a person who loves his country. And he's a person who does all of this above the desire for money. And in Thucydides' words, these are ideals that Pericles embodies. He writes that, For one who has ideas and does not instruct clearly is on the same level as he who had not thought of them. So you can have all the ideas that you want, but if you don't instruct them clearly, if you don't get people to uh, help you and, and follow your direction, you might as well not even have thought of them. Secondly, the man able to do both but ill disposed towards his city cannot make any declaration with the comparable loyalty. So this is the duty to country, the duty to the polis that is so important. Uh, Even if a person is able to articulate frameworks, it's hard to trust them if they don't love their country. And thirdly, if he has that as well, but he is conquered by money, for this alone, he can be bought out in entirety. So for those people whose love of money goes beyond their reason, that goes beyond their love of country, they can't be trusted as leaders in this speech by Pericles. So what Pericles is embodying here is an honor-bound duty to the civic society, to, to the polis, and it is in this context where he frames out the individual responsibility. It's always an individual in the real, in relationship to the collectivity. And this is how he talks about how to respond in times of crisis. And he chides those people in Athenian society that uh, don't follow these ideals. Further on in his speech, he writes, he says that nevertheless, since you inhabit a great city, and were brought up with a way of life to match it. So those people in Athens are some of the richest 
most powerful citizens across the Greek world. He says, since you have this opportunity to live in a place like this and all of the privileges that go with that, he then says, you must be willing to hold out even in the greatest misfortunes and not wipe out your fame, but cease from private sorrow and take up the salvation of the community. Again, for Peric- through the words of Pericles, Thucydides is relating the rights of the individual, the duties of the individual to the city. And even in the times of the worst catastrophe, Thucydides is framing a civic ideal in which despite one's private sorrow, despite one's losses, it is their responsibility to the community at large, that the community can only survive through the collective duty, collective responsibility of individual citizens, and that individual citizens cannot survive without a large group of duty-bound individuals to the community. I think Thucydides' Peloponnesian War is a great place for us to start thinking about the ways that plagues, outbreaks, pandemics in the past have helped people think through the worlds they live in, to reimagine their communities, to critique their communities, and it provides a fruitful framework for thinking about the ways that we live through our own moments of crisis and currently the pandemic through which we're living. And Thucydides asks us very explicitly to think about the duty of the individual to the community, the role of the individual and the responsibilities that individual has to the state. And so I want to leave you with that to think about. I hope you join us for the next Practicing History podcast, where we will be continuing to pursue this theme of outbreaks and pandemics in a historical context. Please feel free to visit me at my website, jasonmkelly.com, and be sure to like us on iTunes. If uh, you could help us out there, that would be great to get the word out. So I look forward to seeing you next time.